Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Glorious Disruption is about when Jesus shows up and turns everyone's world upside down. We believe this study of God's Word is about to turn many people's lives completely around. It may be even upside down because that's what happens in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus comes to people who are absolutely stunned and amazed by Him, and they are profoundly and gloriously changed forever. Let's begin by praying that this happens here at Waterbrook and beyond for our joy and amazement in Jesus. Let's worship together. Well, this morning I want to very quickly uh, invite you to receive Jesus into your life. As we look at this section of scripture where Jesus is making his way towards his crucifixion, it's a very dark passage. Jesus is treated brutally, and I've used this picture up here above because it's actually one of these passages where you fall more in love with Jesus. That is, you see him in the face of injustice, in, in the har- harassment and the hostilities facing him. You are reminded to think, he's doing this for me. He's doing this for me. And I want you to see that. But I want to say to some of you this morning that as you see Jesus, as you watch us walk through this text of Scripture today, I... I'm inviting you today to make a decision for Jesus Christ. Uh, you may be dealing with indifference to Jesus. You might have thought, you know, I'm, just, I'm here, but I'm not sure why I'm here. But as you watch Jesus do this for you, I pray that you will no longer be able to be indifferent uh, to him and why he's come. If, if you came in this morning just feeling like shame, if people knew you knew what you've done, knew what you've said, knew where you've been. I just want to say to you, today when you look at this text, you need to see Jesus has come for sinners like me and like you. And that, that you don't need to leave yourself in those dark shadows. Just flee. Take that radical step of, of risk and just say, I'm in Jesus. Whatever this looks like, I see what you're like. I see what you're doing. I'll follow you and give yourself to Jesus Christ. That's why Luke does this. Luke presents Jesus in the awfulness and the details so that we would not be left the same. I, I like, you know, you know, the picture of the, the diamond. You've, used, you've seen this illustration before. They tell you, if you want to see the beauty of the diamond, put it against black velvet or put it against black leather. And suddenly the facets stand out and the clarity stands out and the color uh, appears to you. And, and we see the beauty of Jesus against the darkness of humanity and not just the darkness of humanity in general, but his own people and the religious establishment and the disciples. I mean, we're going to see Judas come to kiss Jesus. We're going to see Simon Peter say, I didn't know him. And you and I are to look at those activities and we're not to go, how could they? But even as Gabe was leading and some of the songs show us, that's us. We're actually meant to see ourselves in this passage of Scripture, in the brokenness and in the sin. Listen to Chad Bird. He says this, there was a man who was more than a man, and we killed him. He was the greatest man who ever lived, and we killed him. He was the kindest, most gentle, most truthful, and upright, and compassionate man who ever lived, and we killed him. Hands that healed, we wounded The face that glowed, we spit upon. The heart that beat with love, we pierced. There was a man who was more than a man. He was God. And we 
you and I and all of lost and hopeless humanity, we killed him. Now, it's important for us to see ourselves in this text so that as we identify with the kiss on the cheek and the betrayal of the voice, and we've done it. We've denied Jesus. We pretended that we were his friend and acted in a way that was completely contrary to loyalty to Jesus Christ. We've done these things. But as we see these things, you and I need to hear Jesus, watch Jesus, because while his disciples turn from him and his mission, he does not turn from his mission given to him by God. He remains faithful and steadfast for your sake and my sake. I hear in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, the writer to the Hebrews who says this, good news, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And sometimes we have this question in our head, if God really saw me, if God really dealt with me according to my sin, if Jesus was here right now, how might he react to me? And the answer is, he would react this way. This is the Jesus who is, everlastingly the same. In your sin and your brokenness and your struggle and your rebellion, in your indifference and your coldness of heart, this Jesus came for you. And you want to know what he would do in your worst day? If he saw you right now with what you've done, what you've said, what you've thought, even this morning, if he saw you, what would he do? He would do exactly what he did here. He would rescue you. He would come for you. Listen to Gavin Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly. We cannot present a reason for Christ to finally close off his heart to his own sheep. No such reason exists. Every human friend has a limit. If we offend enough, if a relationship gets damaged enough, if we betray enough times, we are cast out. The walls go up. With Christ, our sins and weaknesses are the very resume items that qualify us to approach him. Isn't that good news? Jesus does not love like us. We love until we're betrayed. Jesus continued to the cross despite betrayal. We love until we're forsaken. Jesus loved through forsakenness. We love up to a limit. Jesus loves to the end. Aren't you glad Jesus is this way? Now, there's a lot in this text, but this is what I want you to do in this section of Luke chapter 22. I want you to narrow in on Jesus. And I want you to look at just a few little actions and statements that happen because I think it opens up the text to you. For example, I want you to see him touch the high priest's ear and restore him. In that moment, can you imagine, as it's recorded for us, and, and, and Simon Peter, who has, has a very bad day. Simon Peter, John tells us in John eighteen ten, is the one who pulled out the sword. And cut off the ear. Simon Peter will later deny. And in that section of scripture, what I want you to see, not as Jesus' touch, but Jesus' look. It says to us, right after the rooster crows, Jesus looked at Simon Peter. Here's the question I want you to think about when we look at that text. If Jesus looked at you right now, how would he look? I want to suggest to you the way he looks at Simon Peter is the way that he would look at you and I right now. And then, at the end of the passage, Jesus hasn't been saying much. He doesn't even answer the questions and the charges and the blasphemy that goes against him. But at one moment in time, he says something. He finally speaks. And when he finally speaks there, that's what we can understand is how he would speak right now, what he's doing right now. And this is for you. This is for me. 
This is for us to realize that the Jesus who did this for us is the Jesus who is still for us. And we can rest and trust in him. Oh, today that you might feel his touch. Oh, today that you might see his eyes look upon you. Oh, that you might hear him speak to you so that you might walk out. So here's my invitation today. My invitation is really and clearly, no matter who you are, will you receive this Jesus today? Will you respond to this Jesus today? So what, would, what can we expect from Jesus? Not when we've had a really good day, but when we've had a very bad day. What can we expect from Jesus when we have been like all of the disciples in this passage of Scripture towards him? What can we expect from Jesus? Here's the first thing I want you to see. We can expect the restorative touch of Jesus, if you look to Jesus. Expect Jesus to be willing to uh, restore our deep brokenness. So the scene unfolds, and you and I need to realize that this is quickly rolling towards the crucifixion now the forces have come against him and jesus has been in the garden of gethsemane pleading with god and praying with god suddenly an entourage shows up and these aren't a, just a motley crew of rebels who are trying to do something this is a force to be reckoned with in israel this is the force to be reckoned with in jerusalem at this time look down at verse 52 it says, then Jesus said, and this is the list of the group that came to him, to the chief priests, the officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay your hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. And so we have the... Uh, Sanhedrin essentially are leading up to the Sanhedrin we have the chief priests we have the religious leaders we have the temple guard coming with force and it's not just the religious establishment and the authorities over Israel that have now come to get Jesus but at the end of it Jesus says this is the forces of darkness so this is earthly religion and heavenly powers coming at the right moment to seize and come against Jesus and in the middle of all of this, you've got, you got to remember, Jesus has been warning his disciples that they ought to pray that they don't fall into temptation. Jesus has been praying about that. But what happens is that as they come, Simon Peter, we're told in John, it's not told here by Luke, but Simon Peter grabs a sword. And remember Jesus said, I told you not to bring a sword. He said, uh, uh, here we have two swords. Now you take a sword. And he has a sword. Well, Simon Peter, who is not as skillful, he's a Galilean. He's not a skillful soldier. He pulls out the sword and strikes, probably at the least threatening guy in the crowd, and hits him rather badly and takes his ear off. And it reminded me of... In, in the warning in spiritual warfare, Simon Peter is taking up the wrong armor. Paul in Ephesians 6 talks about a day like this as the evil day. In Ephesians chapter 6, 13, he says, put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand in the evil day. Jesus has been putting on his spiritual armor in Gethsemane. And now he's about to follow through. The disciples have not been doing that, and so they rely on their own armor in order to fight the fight. And so we look at this text, and it says uh, in verse 47, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd in the man called Judas. One of the 12 was leading him, and he drew near to kiss Jesus. And Jesus stops him and said, Judas, would you really kiss? 
betray me with a kiss? It's a, it's a powerful moment. I just want you to think, this, this is a moment of deep betrayal, and we need to see it here because you and I are capable of this. And you and I have, in a sense, betrayed Jesus with a kiss. We're not to look at this text and say, oh, how could Judas do this? We look at this text and say, we can pretend to be loyal to Jesus, and at the moment where Jesus should be honored and, 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 and stood up for, we, we actually turn our faces against him. Peter, in response to that, says in those, verse 49, who were around saw what uh, what would follow. They knew what was going on. They said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them, Simon Peter, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. He touched, he took the sword and he cut off his right ear. And listen to Jesus' response because I want you to hear this. And it says in verse 51, Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Now, I love this. Jesus is going, look at all these. You guys are all fighting for your own little kingdoms. You're all fighting for your own names. You're all fighting for your own powers. Stop it. Put your sword away. Jesus is very committed and clear on what he has come to do. And he has not come to do what they're doing, which is fight with others to save his kingdom. He's going to advance his kingdom by laying down his life for the very people who have come up against him. John makes it clear in, in John chapter 10, verses 10 to 11, that Jesus knew what his role was. He said, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it, how much? Abundantly. I am the good shepherd. What does the good shepherd do? He lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus, when they came to lay hands on him to destroy them, stayed true to his purpose, and he lays hands on one of them in order to restore him, restore the servant. And you and I need to stop and realize, what if we came to Jesus in our brokenness and our sinfulness and our rebellion, what would he do? We think he would react like many of us. He would respond like, we'd turn, and we, we saw that earlier in that quote. He doesn't turn against us. He turns towards us. And, and you may be somebody who feels like, Jesus, if he actually knew what I was thinking, actually knew what I'd done, he would, he would wash his hands of me. He would turn away. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus is committed to forgiveness and restoration. You and I, if we ask the question, what should I expect if Jesus saw me the way I really am? What, if, what should I expect if Jesus really knew who I was really like? You should expect Jesus to be ready and willing to heal and to restore your deepest brokenness and wounds. Imagine you're that servant. Just coming along with the crowd. And all of a sudden, in all the uproar that's going on, somebody strikes out and strikes you. You, you think the servant ever forgot this day? in the middle of sin and rebellion and watching. Imagine watching the crucifixion after the, that very day your, you felt the touch of his hand upon your head and your ear was restored and you were healed. This is no ordinary man. And he came to love his enemies. 
and give his life up for us. Luke wants you to see in the madness and the mayhem of all the scene, Jesus touching the servant's ear and healing him. And to tell you, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You should expect, if you come to Jesus with all your sin, with all your brokenness, the, restore, the restoration of Jesus on your life. You, you should expect him not to withdraw, but to reach out. Even though they raised their hands in violence, he raised his hand in healing and restoration. And, I, and so that's what you should expect. Some of you today, you're thinking, what would Jesus do? He, I, I'm broken. I'm in such a mess. I can't find my way out. It's not a problem for Jesus. He's not going to turn you away. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to forsake you. He will make all things new. Do you believe that? The second thing you should also see, think is not only the restorative touch of Jesus, but the compassionate look of Jesus Expect Jesus to see us at our worst moments towards him and remain compassionately and unwaveringly committed to us. So in the next scene, we have the three times Simon has the opportunity to identify with Jesus. He goes in and he's following in the shadows, lurking by the fire. And the fire is bright enough that some people can discover that he's a Galilean. And they start to go, hey, you know, a young, la- a young maiden says, you were with him, and Simon, woman, I was not. And somebody else comes and says, you were with him. And he goes, man, I was not. And an hour passes by, and then finally somebody comes third time and says, you were with him, we know we saw you. And he goes, man, I was not with him, I do not know him. And then, uh, uh, uh. And I have to think that in that moment, Simon looked to Jesus. Now, Luke doesn't record that because that's not the important look. Jesus looks to Simon. Look at what it says here in verse 60. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered what Jesus said. In that moment, it came to him. It says, Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And if you look back at Luke 22, 31 to 34, it was this conversation. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brother. And Peter said, Lord, I am willing to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you have known me. Simon, Peter, oh, I can do it. Er, er, er. And he went and he wept bitterly. Broken. But Luke tells us Jesus looked at him. And and I want you to think about it. What, What was that look like? Was it a roll of the eyes? Was it a, a scorn of exasperation and frustration? I mean, if you go back to that quote, you realize Jesus had not, uh, was not unaware of Peter's weakness. Peter was unaware of his weakness. 
He was zealous, but Jesus wasn't blind to what he would be like under pressure. And Jesus had prayed for him. You see, Jesus is looking at him because Jesus is going to the cross for him. Jesus is dying so that his faith would not fail. Jesus is fully for Peter in this moment. You and I need to realize we're a lot like Simon Peter. Why, did, why do we have Simon Peter? A.W. Pink says, it's for this reason that God suffers it to appear that the best, are but, best men are but men. No matter how richly gifted they may be, how eminent in God's service, how greatly honored and used of him, let his sustaining power be withdrawn from them for a moment and it will be quickly seen that they are earthen vessels. The most experienced saint, if left to himself, is immediately seen to be as weak as water and timid as a mouse. Man at his best estate is altogether vanity. We are meant to look at Peter and go, there's me. There but by the grace of God go I. And we're not to see Jesus going, oh, what a surprise and disappointment. That's it, I'm done with you, Simon Peter. Jesus has said, I have prayed for you. And the power of his prayer is flows out of the crucifixion and his resurrection and ascension that he would once soon experience on, on his behalf. Jesus looks at him and is fixed on him because he knew. Jesus stops. I can't, can you imagine being scorned and mocked and ridiculed? Everybody abandoning you. And the rooster crows. And suddenly nobody's there but you and Jesus. Have you ever had that moment? I hope you had the moment in the right way. The accuser of the brethren would come, look on you, and say, there's no hope for you. And Jesus would say, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. If you confess your sin, I am faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Jesus doesn't forget when we would forget. Jesus doesn't abandon. This is God in the Old Testament, Isaiah 49. That passage of Scripture in Isaiah 49, 15, I mentioned earlier. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? And just so you put it aside, parents do forget their children. It happened, I think, last week here at church or two weeks ago. Right? It happens regular. I did that to my daughter. She's still in therapy. Uh, when, when we were at church one time, the parents go in different cars assuming the child is with the parent. And then suddenly good parents show up with your daughter. And the daughter gets out of the car and goes, you forgot me. God asked the question, can a nursing mother forget her child? Yeah. But the idea is it's not likely. It's unusual. But he says, even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Simon Peter, I, all this is going on, but my eye is still on you. Isn't that powerful? Simon, this is all against me, but I, just, I need to look at you. Because when I'm hanging on the tree, you've got to know I see you. I see you in your brokenness, not in your self-righteousness, not in your bravado, not in all of that. I see you, Simon Peter, and I want you to hear that today, friend. He sees you. The look is not a look of condemnation. Augustine talks about his mom's prayer life for him. How mother doesn't forget. He actually attributes his salvation to the prayers of his mother. Augustine says, 
uh, about God's rescuing him. He says, and you did stretch forth your hand from above and draw my soul out of profound darkness. That's how he described God. You, you looked down from heaven and with your hand, you lifted me up out of darkness. He said, because my mother, your faithful one, wept to thee on my behalf more than mothers are accustomed to weep for the bodily deaths of their children. For by the light of faith and spirit, when she, which she received from thee, she saw I was dead. Can I tell you, some of you, your mothers prayed for you because she, she saw that you were dead spiritually. And he said, and you did hear her, O Lord. Thou didst hear her and despise not her tears when pouring down they watered the earth under her eyes in every place where she prayed. You did truly hear her. Isn't that a great testimony of a son? Mom, I was dead, I was dead, I was dead, and you didn't give up. You prayed over me, and you prayed over me, and God in mercy in heaven looked down. My dear friends, that's what Jesus is doing now. All the more. This is a look of compassion penetrating our sin and our lifelessness and darkness. And Jesus is saying, Simon, in all this, I see you, and I'm not turning away. I'm not turning away. Do you believe that today? Can you feel the gaze of Jesus on your face today? What do you think he's looking like? Let me tell you this. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness unrighteousness there's therefore now no condemnation for those where in Christ Jesus I want you to feel the touch of healing and restoration in your eye on your body today from sin and I want you to feel the gaze of Jesus in grace in the middle of it all I haven't taken my eye off of you and I will not let you go and finally and thirdly I want you to hear the lips of Jesus here expect Jesus to defend your innocence. Got that? Expect Jesus to defend your innocence when no one defended his. That's what we're supposed to see here in verse 63. Now those who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him them as they beat him. This is the opposite of Psalm 1 where it says, Blessed is the man who does not stand in the path of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers. Right? He, uh, walk in the path of sinners. I'm going to always get it. Sit on the path of sinners. Stand in the seat of scoffers. Somewhere is the word mockers. <laughs> the word scoffers means mocking. And he says these, these are the people who are opposite to the ones who delight in the Lord and upon his law. Uh, uh, meditate day and night. These ones are not meditating on the Lord. They're not meditating on the Lord. They're mocking the Lord and they're ridiculing him and they're scorning him and they're beating him and they've got the audacity and the capriciousness that they're saying, oh, you're a man of God? Whack! Prophesy! Let's hear a word from God. Can you imagine doing that to the very Son of God? Well, you better because you've done it. When we think in our heads we could never do this, our knowledgeable sins are daring the Son of God as if he is not able to do what he's able and gifted to do. Well, thank God Jesus never called 10,000 angels down to deal with the mockers and the scoffers. Thank God that when we were daring the hand of Jesus with our sin and rebellion, that he did not come up against us. They were saying many other things against him and blaspheming him. You can blaspheme Jesus literally with your lips, or you can blaspheme Jesus with your lives. 
just the same. You say you're son of God? Are you? They mocked him. It says, when the day came, the assembly of the elders of the priests, people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led them to their council, and they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. This is the Sanhedrin. They could not meet and convene an official meeting during nighttime. The moment the rooster crows and daylight breaks, they, they meet together and they bring Jesus. This is a political gathering designed to give a fake hearing and an unjust sentencing to Jesus. They call Jesus forward in this passage. They say, if you are the Christ, tell us. And Jesus essentially says, I'm not going to say anything because I'm not going to get a hearing here. He says, if I tell you, you won't believe. And if I ask you a question, you will not answer. This is a sham. This is a fake hearing. He says, I am not going to say anything here and now to defend myself. But listen to what he says. So, so they say, he says in verse 68, and this is, 69, but from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. What a statement. I'm not going to talk to you and try to get a hearing. I'm not going to seek justice from you, but I'll tell you this. I will now establish justice from sea to shining sea. And he's quoting from the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 7 where we see the Son of Man has been appearing on the clouds of glory and is given a dominion and a kingdom and a power and authority over all nations. Jesus says, I'm going to go down into your injustice so I can rise up to end injustice forevermore. I will sit at the right hand. David says in Psalm 110, And the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And now, right now, Jesus is at the right hand and he's interceding on our behalf and making sure that there is justice in all of our lives forevermore. He couldn't get justice so that we could. He suffered injustice, so we never would. Isn't that the good news of the gospel? Jesus would not turn from his calling to establish peace on earth. He didn't get a fair hearing, but we will. My dear friends, every man and woman and child will stand before Jesus. You're going to stand before Jesus. And you're going to get a fair hearing. Hebrews tells us that it's appointed for a man once to die and then the judgment. You are going to stand before Jesus. And Jesus, because of his death and resurrection, has now been given authority over all things. And here's the good news. Jesus is saying, this is an unjust world. You are an unjust religious and political establishment. But I'm going to set up a kingdom where justice will reign from eternity to eternity. It will never stop. It will never cease. And you want to come before Jesus knowing that he will be your lawyer your advocate. You come on your own and argue your own righteousness, you'll have no standing because there are none that are righteous, no, not one. You don't want to stand there, but if you come in the name of Jesus, you say, Jesus, if I come before you, how will you touch me? How will you look at me? What will you say about me? Here's what the Bible tells us. Jesus will stand up and look at you if you're in Jesus Christ, no matter what you've done, no matter what you said, and he will say, there is now no condemnation. For those in Christ Jesus. Innocent. They pull you up. You think everything you've ever done. Everything you've ever thought. Every hidden shadow of your life. You come before him. Jesus will stand up and say. 
You want to argue with me? I'm the one who declares righteousness. Paul says in Romans 8.31, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. And you and I need to hear this this way. Not only is Christ going to intercede for us on the day of judgment, he is interceding for us right now while we're struggling. Right now when you've got those accusations and you think, man, I'm the worst mother, I'm the worst father, I'm the worst spouse, I'm the worst child. If anybody knew what was going on, my dear friends, flee to Jesus. Nobody will stand with you. He will. Nobody will have your back. He will. Nobody had his back. But he went through that so that you might know he will always have your back. He always will. That's why John says in 1 John 2, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Jesus is arguing his blood, the propitiation. The sentence has been paid. The wrath of God has been absorbed. When I was crucified, it is taken. No charge. There's not going to be double sentencing here. I paid it all. You got your conscience going on? God's greater than your heart. Jesus steps in and says, wait a minute, let me speak. He didn't speak back then, but now he's speaking. He's speaking every day. It is finished. God is satisfied. Justice is thoroughly done. Listen again to Gavin Ortland. He says, the grace of God meets particular sins at particular points in time. That's what he means that he advocates for you. He meets particular sins at particular points in time. It doesn't mean merely that he covers my life as a whole, leaving the details to work out on their own. Christ meets us again and again in our particular moments of lust, resentment, fear, negligence, coldness, and says what? Father, forgive them for the sake of my blood. I'm not my own advocate before the Father. I don't have to make a case for him to receive me. Christ makes my case for me. Even after my conversion, my faith is not the ultimate ground of my assurance and salvation. Christ and his electing, redeeming love is my assurance, my boast, my confidence. Aren't you glad for that? You don't have to justify yourself. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to earn your way back. He's already earned it for you. So friends, that's what I want you to feel today. Some of you in your brokenness need to feel the touch of Jesus on your ear. You say, I made a mess and I'm broken. He healed his enemies. He'll restore you. If you come to him, he'll restore you. Some of you think that God is looking with a gaze of condemnation on you. My dear friends, look at the gaze of Jesus here. He's looking at Simon and saying, I'm doing this for you. And at the cross, that's what he's saying. Look at the gaze of Jesus at you today. Can you see the eyes of Jesus? They're full of love and mercy and compassion towards you. Do you hear Jesus' voice? You are even condemning you. 
You're accusing yourself. And Jesus has a word for you. Stop it. Or as he said earlier, enough of this. Enough of this. I covered your sin. Go in peace. Don't you want to do that today? You can go to peace. Here's my invitation. I said it at the beginning. I say it at the end. Come to Jesus today. Please. Come to Jesus. He will warmly receive you. Let's pray together. God in heaven, I thank you for Jesus. In the darkness, we see the diamond of his beauty. Against the backdrop of our betrayal, against the backdrop of our sin, against the backdrop of our denials, Jesus was faithful. Thank you, Jesus, that you came into the world for broken, wounded sinners like me. I pray, oh Jesus, that you would receive the glory due your name. I pray that people today would flee to you. I pray, Heavenly Father, that all of us would look in our struggles and our sins to see the ever-consistent advocacy of Jesus at the right hand who always intercedes for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you're my defender so I don't have to defend myself. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done, especially the cross. It's in your name we pray. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.